0: You are here with Jacob Skepas from JPS and Dr. Booty, Mr. Brett Contreras, who has gotten out of bed at 1 a.m. in the morning to uh, join us tonight and he's a very, very special person for doing this. So welcome, Brett.
1: I didn't get out of bed. I just haven't gone to sleep yet. So (laughs) I'm a night owl, so it's fine.
0: And for those of you who don't know who Brett is, he has a PhD in sports science, a master's degree, and is the co-founder of SNC, which is Strength and Conditioning Research, as well as the founder of Strong by Brett. He's the inventor of the hip thrust, founder of the Glute Lab, and the entire male population thanks him for building better booties worldwide.
1: <laughs> Welcome, Brett. Well, that was quite the introduction. Um... Thank you for having me on the show. Interestingly, my master's degree is actually in curriculum and instruction um, right. for secondary yeah. education. I used to be a high school math teacher for like six years before I entered the fitness industry.
0: And that was one of my first questions for you, actually,
1: was really was making the transition
0: into personal training, That's it's a big leap because personal training is very fickle and the tenure of personal trainers is, you know, not something that has a great track record um, of success or financial wealth. How did you transition from being a teacher with a really steady income into personal training? What were the obstacles you faced?
1: Well, let me tell you a funny story. So two things happened um, while I was teaching. Um, And the first was during my master's degree, I had a professor who had us do a, we had to do a thematic unit but we could do it on whatever topic we wanted. I thought I would have to do it on math since I was a math teacher, but she said, you can do it on whatever you want. So I raised my hand, I said, can I do mine on exercise science? And she said, you can do it on ice cream if you want. And I was like, right when she said that I stopped paying attention and I just started um, brainstorming on, on this piece of paper. And by the end of the class period, I had the whole page filled up with ideas and I worked on this thing day and night, anyway, She called me up on the phone to tell me this, which is rare. You don't have professors call you up. She said, Brett, I just want to tell you, I've been a professor for 13 years, and I've never received a a project like yours. It's the best I've ever received. She said, I have no doubt you're a good math teacher, but life is too short. You have to pursue your passion, and your passion is is exercise, science, uh, strength, and conditioning. You You need to do it. You need to go for it. And... I've looked. I've tried to find the name of this professor to tell her. You changed my life. I can't find her. I, That's Priscilla. But anyway, she changed my life. And but the other thing is, I my my good friend who I was teaching with. Uh, you know, when someone gives you a like, you know, ten compliments and one insult, you'll just, you know, if you're like me, you'll focus on the insult. <laughs> sure, so sure. she she comes in into my classroom at the end of the day, and we're just, you know. Talking and, and she says, "You know, Brett, on paper you're a real catch." And I'm like, "What do you mean?" She's like, "Well, you're tall, you're you're handsome, you're funny, you're intelligent." And she's going on and on, and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." Yeah, tall. No, yeah. <laughs> your only flaw is that you don't make any money. And, yeah, right. You know, I, I'm in Arizona. We we happen to be. I know back when I was teaching, I knew this stat. We were 50th out of all 50 states for state funding for education. So. I, I think I started out making 30,000 a year and I after the end of 6 years of teaching with with a master's plus 24 extra credits I was making 38,000 yeah, with nice. 6 years of experience and and you top out at 59,000 with a PhD and 30 years of experience that was back then. Yeah. I don't know what it is now. But I after she said that I just sat there and I was so frustrated because I was like I want to you know, obviously, I don't want to marry someone who wants me for money, mm-hmm. but that would be a turnoff to me if I was a woman. I mean, I know you're supposed to love someone regardless of what they what money they have, but I don't want to have holes in my game. I don't want to have weaknesses, yep. <laughs> and I don't want to meet uh, this potential woman of my dreams and, and then break it to I'm a that I'm a teacher and have that be a turnoff. Um, but anyway, I I that I I joined Amazon that day. I had never had an Amazon account. I joined Amazon and I ordered two books. One of them was uh, Cashflow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki. He also wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yeah. And this was a good book because it talked about the four ways to make money. You can either make money through as an employee, self-employed, business owner, or investor. And it talked about the pros and cons of each of them, because that was what I was most worried about. Here I have a secure income, even though it's not that much, it's it's guaranteed. What if I open up my own personal training business and fail? Especially, what if I sign a lease? Yeah. And so that was, and then the other book, ironically, that I ordered was from <laughs> it was the Donald Trump book. <laughs> little, 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 no little way. Way. It, Many years later, he would become Here he president of the United States. Um, but those really, I've never read any books on marketing or attended any seminars or anything, and now I'm doing really well for myself yeah, um, yeah, just sure. by learning the science and kind of coming out with products and services that people want. Hmm. And I don't have to learn much marketing because I'm, I'm in demand. But uh, it, I remember being extremely afraid to make that transition and going, How, what, what will I do if I um, – and so it's funny. My mom, she had watched <laughs> – Obviously, seen the movie Field of Dreams too much with Kevin Costner because she kept saying, "If you build it, they will come." You know, you're a good trainer. If you build it, they will come. Um, I like that. It, it, meaning, and and this is a funny story too. When I joined, when I started my facility, it was still in a bad economy. This was like 2007, I think, or two, maybe 2006, 2007, 2008. That was the time I had my facility. I think it was 2007. Anyway. That's when we had the, you know, economic meltdown, the housing yeah, yeah, yeah. crisis. And so th- this taught me a serious life lesson because I, I, I started at my gym and it was even the economy was already going starting to go bad, but I had 55 clients my first, my third month. Yeah, right. That was at my peak. I was kicking butt. I'm like, I had to hire two trainers. That's awesome. And I was like kicking butt and every day I'd have people walk walking by They'd open the door. They'd be like, "My my gym was called Lifts. It was in Scottsdale, in a nice part of Scottsdale. And people would open the door. What is this place? It's a personal training studio. Come check it out." And they, you know, I'd have people coming in. I'd have I'd have clients who who loved the the workout so much. That's when I I before I had the hip thruster, I had the scorcher, and it was this big hip thruster machine with this big foot plate and this rounded back pad, and that was what I gave every I just give it to them first. The first exercise would be hip thrust off the scorcher and then they do, you know, whatever. I'd individualize all their work. We'd write new programs for every single client every day. We didn't write monthly programs. Wow. It was just each day. Yeah. We'd be like, I think they need this tomorrow. I think they need this. And uh and so I'd train people from noon to seven, write programs from seven to eight thirty ish with my trainers, and then we'd work out till ten, go home, barbecue, and then I'd be so exhausted, I I couldn't blog, I couldn't do social yeah. media or blog, I was exhausted. I think a lot of trainers can relate to that when you're actually training people all day long. It's like, when the hell do I I was, I... I was kicking butt my third month, and then the economy tanked, and my whole plaza went out of business. I was like the, last, the second to last person to withstand, but the whole plaza ended up going out, and like, it's right. no fault of my own, I, yeah. you know, I had nothing to do with the economy, and uh, you know, to have, so I ended up, uh, my 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 lease actually expired, and I didn't, uh, no one renewed, because the puzzle was going under. so I, All right. that's when I said, okay, what can I do? So my whole life, I've always been just trying to do something, it's like, I still don't know what I want to do in life, but yeah. I keep doing things to try to Improve my 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 CV or whatever. Give me yeah. skills that'll be appealing to whatever next level I get to. And now it's kind of cool because um, I I could open a gym if I wanted to, mm-hmm. and I could do very well. I I, I could uh you know I, I could have applied to be because ASU had a biomechanics position opening up uh, last I think yeah last year or the year before I could have applied to that. I could have tried to be a professor. Actually, I've been. Asked to apply for professor jobs, and but I, I I have a good life, and I keep telling myself, don't screw it up. It took you a long time to get here. Don't get too busy, and don't screw it up. So now I have, you know, I don't have a facility, but I have a four-car garage, the land. and I can, yeah, the Glute Lab I call it, and it's it's just awesome. It's my favorite time of my day is being in there and training and and training clients, and that's where I conducted my a lot of my studies yeah. for the PhD research. So I have all EMG, ultrasound, force plate, um, motion capture. So it's allowed me to t- to. And I'm, now I'm going to keep doing studies at ASU. I'm collaborating with them. So they have some good stuff. So that's a big part of my life. I want to keep publishing.
0: You've um you've definitely been um somebody who has. Started, I guess, from the bottom, you know, being a PT and then opening your own facility. That's where 99% of fitness professionals start. And now you've, the way I've seen your career transition is you are a figurehead in the industry who has, you've made it. And not a lot of personal trainers last, let alone, you know, make it to the degree that you have. If there were any lessons that you could share with young, aspiring personal trainers, what would they be?
1: Oh man, I wish I, if I had this question in advance, I, I would have had it, actually I could have filled the whole podcast with it, but I'm actually, you know, I give my glutes lab seminars each month, and I have, I took notes for two months, and I have all the notes written down, I just have to make it into a, a slideshow, but I want to do a, a seminar on helping people, because I, I look at I look at everyone out there, and I can just look at how they act on social media, I can look at what they're doing, and I'm like, ah, that person doesn't have it, that person doesn't get it, that, and there's no one teaching people, there's marketing people teaching people how to market, but you can't, mm-hmm. it's like I think of a Ford Pinto, you can like, get nice wheels on a Ford Pinto, and get a new carburetor, it's not going to matter much, you know, you want you, to you be turd. having a Ferrari, pero- excuse me, you can't polish a turd, yeah, you can't polish a turd, so... I, I don't know, I don't understand, I mean, maybe I market well, I don't know, I don't know, I see the other tactics that these other people use, and I'm like, you guys are sleazy, I, I don't have to resort to that. Mm. So the name of my s- seminar, if I ever do it, it might be one of those things where I talk about forever and never do it, but is the tentative title is going to be, uh, How to Make It in the Fitness Industry Without Selling Your Soul to the Devil, Things I Wish I Would Have Known 10 Years Ago When I First Started Out. And, uh, but the advice I would give people is, number one, um, I have an advantage over a lot of my colleagues because of my master's degree in curriculum instruction. Mm -hmm. I am an educator, and my blog and social media is my opportunity to educate. And so many people will be like, well, I can't write this article. So-and-so wrote that article, or this person already wrote that. Who cares? This is your platform. What do you want people to learn? Teach them. Help them be consistent with content. I've, I've, I've sat down and helped. I've told people, here's how you do it. Here's Here are the steps, you know. Educate people. Come out with good content and do that for like five straight years. And you will be doing well. Yeah. But they can't do it. Nah, they, to do it it's a lot easier said than done. Yeah. But uh, also just the way people act on social media. Um, you know, I... <clears throat> I could, uh, if I wanted to, I'm pretty sure I could start up a, an online personal training business, which I I train like four people online right now. Um, I just have a, people I like. You know, I only charge one of them. The other three I help for yeah. free just because they like work, one of them are good people, and that's my pro bono work. That's my, it makes me feel good about myself. Yeah. But if I wanted to, I'm pretty sure I could have 100 clients within like three months paying probably $600 a month. Do the math. That's 720 grand a year. Um, And most of the listeners would go, oh my God, why doesn't he do that? Why doesn't he not do that? Well, two things. Number one, um, I did the research on happiness, and money and happiness are not, you know what my best days are when I have some free time. You know, uh, (laughs) I was watching the movie Pumping Iron the other day with Arnold, (laughs) and it's some part where he's backstage pumping up, And he has this push-up apparatus and, you know, I have push-up handles, but they're not elevated that high. So my chest hits the ground. I want to go deep. You know, I have good mobility, the shoulder mobility. I can go deep. I want to get a stretch in the pecs. So I went to Home Depot and bought some PVC pipe and I'm going to make my own. (laughs) I'm a a great guy. I I need an outlet to express my creativity. And think about what I'm known for in the industry. Um, you know, I, I'm the one who thought up the barbell hip thrust. Um, I'm, I, I come out with new exercises, new ways of designing programs, um, and I and I have to have time to read research. If I start falling behind, it gives me this mm. well, ill feeling inside. Like, I this is my edge. I I, yeah. I stay current with the research, and I when I start getting too busy. So uh, so if, if I open up that training. Uh, online training and took on 100 clients, my life would be miserable. I would not enjoy, I would not be happier. I would be richer and I would be miserable. I would be answering emails and text messages all day long and I would be stressed out all the time, feeling behind and, you know, during this podcast I'd be glancing at my phone, seeing text messages pop up and emails pop up and I'd just be, I would not be happier. So you're, and and I have this belief that you're, your ingenuity and innovation and creativity is inversely proportional to your how busy you are. You know, like when you're super busy. Yeah. During exactly. my PhD, when I was so stressed out, I wasn't coming up with anything new. Mm. Right when I finished my PhD, I finally had time to breathe. That's when I thought I was strong by Brett and my Blue Lab seminars. Those yeah. are my two biggest money makers.
0: Yeah. So it's like you gotta freedom to think.
1: People can get themselves so busy that it it's like people who can't be single. They they break up and they ha- they take the next person that comes their way. You're always occupied and you'll you'll probably never because you're not okay with being single. You're not stable on your own. You'll never meet that that probably that perfect person for you because you're you're too busy jumping ship rather than just waiting around for the right person it's in the same manner. Uh, if you keep yourself so busy on the the rigmarole, the 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 nine to five stuff, yeah. then you can, you can prevent it. you from take to from you know having that great idea that takes you to the next level. So and, and then some other advice is just on social media. Um, the reason I brought up the online training thing is because I instill confidence in people in people. People are okay following my advice. Why is that? I look the part, I act the part, you know, in real life, I'm a, I am might not be as professional, <laughs> but online, I am professional. Online, I, I have time to react, time to think. I'm not impulsive. I'm calculated. I'm um, courteous. Um, and, and, you know, that's, uh, I'm not getting in arguments online every day. I'm not um, image crafting. I'm not just trying to show off. I'm not over-marketing and taking a million selfies, and I'm not acting like a clown, I'm not on, on Facebook all day long goofing around, and I look at people, and <laughs> that's what I see, and I, I can see through all of it, and I, and it doesn't, people can tell whether you're legit or not, and you've yeah. got to show if you want people to follow you, if you want people to buy your products, if you want people to train with you, you need to instill confidence that you're the man, and you can tr- you, they can trust you, the same thing is with these the, NF, the NFL strength coaches that I know, Joe Ken, Buddy Morris. You know, I would, I would train under Buddy Morris. He's the Arizona Cardinals strength coach, and he just talks the talk. He just has that quality in him that it's like he's got to be a pretty strong character to get these filthy rich, multi-million dollar athletes who are bigger, stronger, faster, and you know, <laughs> to listen to, him. yeah. More athletic than you will ever be to listen to you and trust in your program. You can't just be smart. You can't just be strong. You got to be both. You got to be convincing and be able to explain the science to them in a way that they understand and walk the walk yourself. So those are just some of the tips that I wanted to convey.
0: And they're they're brilliant things to think about. And you spoke about just then how you, through doing all of that, can then instill confidence into your clients and get people to buy into. What you're wanting them to do, so that they can achieve their goals and so forth. And one of the questions I wanted to ask you, Brett, is because you've inevitably, inevitably become, you know, almost synonymous with female training. Um, I guess as a function of being the glute guy, because females gravitate towards that. But how do you convince the female population? Because you, in, in from what I've seen, you pioneered females into wanting to lift weights and lift heavy, and that was a, ma- a massive. And very monumental shift. How did you do that, and what are the things that you do with your female clients to get them to buy into that?
1: Well, that's a good question. So, um, you know, uh, I I built credibility through if 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 someone stumbled onto my page. Well, first it was Facebook. Now I'm more about Instagram. Facebook changed their algorithm. It's It's not responsive. Yeah, now I'm more about Instagram. I don't want to pay for every post, and I never sponsored things. That Maybe I need to do that, but right now Instagram is fun. But people, I I, I might gain, I think, like four to 8,000 new Instagram followers every single month. That's how I was with Facebook before they changed their algorithms. But um, it, when people come onto my page, they do some searching around. They go to my blog. Uh, it used to be all about blogs. Now it's more about social media, but blogs are still good. But anyway... People come to my, you know, and learn about me, and they're like, I have, I always had the before and after pictures, yeah, you know, because I wrote that book, Strong Curves, with, with Kelly, Kelly Davis, and that I could have made a lot more money just making my own ebook. I could have made so much more money, but that book goes on Amazon, and now Amazon does marketing for me, <laughs> and all these women try it, and they tag me, and they email me. Oh my God, Brett! Look at my results. And so I have—I don't even update my testimonials anymore. I, I, it's funny. I took a screenshots just uh, just the other day. This is like in one day, I got I got like 50 pictures of. Uh, uh, I'll show it to you. We have video sure. here. These are all my pictures. Uh, see that? Yeah. Wow. Uh, that's in one day that I got tagged on Instagram. Holy shit. And and I'm like, yeah. That's money, meant- That's and, massive yeah I get i get more testimonials in one month than every other trainer does in their whole career Aren't I right what the and so you know I, I see it's not worth my time to argue with people um because they they're not they're jealous they're not looking for to be they're not open minded to be yeah. convinced they're coming on telling me and my my before and after pictures look you know they don't have any before and after pictures they're just Either like powerlifters that are bitter that say you should just do heavy squats and deads for glutes, or whatever, right or like bit, bitter scientists telling me I fabricated my research or something, and I get tagged in these things. And um, if I responded, I'd get sucked into a stupid debate on their turf, and their people would massacre me. So it's not worth my energy. Instead, I'll go, you know, do a podcast. I'll go. Um, Health uh, last last month or the month before, Men's Health was out here, filming the Glute Project with me. Um, yeah. You know, I'll go do something that'll reach so much, so many more people than the haters will. Yeah. And uh, but uh, th- they always see the before and after pictures and the science. It wasn't one or the other. Yeah. It's like okay, I have some EMG data. You know. What does that mean to them? Something's going on with this guy. He he's getting good results. He seems to be scientific. He seems to know what he's talking about. I'm going to give it a try. And they could give my methods a try. I could show something on YouTube or Instagram or whatever, write a blog post and say, try this. They would try it and they'd feel it and they'd like it. They'd come back for more. So that built up trust. So then it was like, okay, I want more women to start going heavy. Um, and so I, I remember I thought, how can I do this? And I said, I, I had the, um, God, I can't remember what I called it. I had six weeks and I... I think it was Operation Get Strong and Sexy or something like that, I called it. It was back in the day with my clients, Sammy and Aaron. And they were bikini competitors, you know, skinny little bikini competitors. And I just trained them for six weeks with powerlifting. And they got so much stronger in six weeks, it was insane. And wasn't that one of the girls
0: who... um... Tested her squat and was like forty-five pounds. Did hip thrust for six weeks, and then her squat was up to like ninety pounds or eighty-five pounds or something.
1: That's just, no, that was, that, a was uh, story. that was that was the, that was the twins. With twins. my PhD, I did a twin yeah. uh, uh, case study, which was fascinating. I can talk about that later. But this was with two of my bikini competitors, and I trained them for powerlifting. My client Sammy. She ended up pulling 315 pounds. I think she got 310 at the meet, but like right. a month, like two weeks after that, she got 315, weighing 120 pounds, and you look at her and go, how the hell would she possibly pull 315? Yeah, right. But yep. uh, I think that, that so many women back then just thought powerlifting equals big, huge big, woman. Big,
0: yeah, thighs, yeah. Yeah,
1: and they never knew, like, hell, you can... <laughs> you know, the train what we do in the gym causes us to lose weight. If we then like it's exercise. We're yeah. we're burning more calories than you would if you were sitting at home. If you follow it up by eating a reasonable diet, you will get lean. If you follow it up by eating like a horse, you will get yeah. you will gain weight. That's yeah. my problem, you know? I lift weight on two hundred and forty five pounds because I love my food. I lift heavy There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but uh but anyway it's so much about your diet, and that's yeah. what I want to do with stilling them. Is if you eat well and don't go crazy on the calories, and you powerless, you'll get leaner because you'll gain strength, you'll gain muscle, and if you're not gaining weight and you're gaining muscle, then you have to be losing fat little by little. Yeah. Now, ironically, now I my met, my methods have changed a little bit to where um I have my strong by breath program. And I love it because the women are getting strong, and they care about their strength, and they love their heavy squats and deadlifts and bench press and chin-ups and everything. But according to the research, there's now I think I think there's 22 studies. I think they all look at heavy versus light loads. As long as you go close to failure uh, and do enough volume, you will get around the same muscle mass gains, the mm-hmm. same hypertrophy. So you yeah. don't have to go heavy. And here's my problem with my Strong by Breath program. I film videos and I show them. Here's how you do a squat. Here's how you do a deadlift. But as we all know, when that's when you hurt yourself is when you're striving for PRs. When you're, yeah. you're going for a PR, you know you don't quite have it, but you want it so bad. So you make you make compromises. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and T- technique is yeah. technique is that way. Yeah, yeah. And it's always hindsight's 2020. After yeah. you injure yourself, you're like. Why the hell did I do that? I just didn't have it that day. I should not have gone mm-hmm. for this. Or my body was trying to tell me something. I, yeah. you know. But uh, so I'm kind of shifting towards mm-hmm. higher reps and and stay injury free. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll keep seeing gains if you're not injured all the time. And when you are injured, you realize how much you like being healthy. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, you take it for granted for sure. Whenever you pull a muscle. no matter where that muscle is, you're like, God dang, I didn't know how much I use this muscle in everyday life. Um, So my methods are, I'm always, you know, adapting to the literature and to, not just the literature, but like, well, I told you how men's health was out here. B.J. Gador is the fitness director for men's health, and he's like, he's jacked out of his mind right now. He looks amazing, and he's like, I've just been doing tons of high reps. I haven't been going heavy for six months. I've been doing timed sets. I start off doing a minute of Bulgarian squats, uh, or step up, step-ups and lunges. Yeah, step-ups and lunges. And oh. now I'm up to 30 straight minutes of step-ups, and I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I film my Instagram videos, you know, and I'll film my sets, and, you know, it might be, I might have, like, eight minutes of exercise in, in and like, a 90-minute session. Yeah, on the fast-forward. Like, maybe seven or eight of those minutes are actual exercising, whereas he's like doing somehow, I don't know how much he rests, but my point is, he's doing ultra high reps. We Back in the day, we all would have said that doesn't build muscle, but he's gotten more muscular. So I had another colleague who has a podcast and recently interviewed me, and he stopped going heavy and started just squeezing muscles hard like a bodybuilder. When he lifts lighter weights, go lighter, but try and go for the mind muscle condition. And he got more muscular. This so is I pay like attention to all of that. Yeah.
0: Go ahead. And with females, do you think, especially because you've had so much experience in coaching uh, women, especially, do you think that transitioning their focus from changing their body and you know feeling the burn and trying to exercise for the sake of burning calories to then wanting to lift heavy attributes to greater dietary adherence and um, a better relationship with food and exercise?
1: Um. So, I think that, alright, I think, alright, for you to enjoy this lifestyle, your training needs to be fun, your training and your eating needs to be, and that's why I'm a fan of flexible dieting, mm. but training should be flexible too. We talk about flexible dieting, like, okay, the other day, I usually when you eat dinner, you're like, okay, I'll have some meat and some potatoes or rice or pasta or something. Well, I wanted a bowl of cereal, so I just had a, a plate full of meat, and then I had a giant bowl of cereal with milk, you know? It sounds like diet. Well, it's okay, because the macros end up being similar. Yeah. And so there are days where you crave something. And when you can have it and not and still see good results, you, you're adherence. You don't fall off you don't go, oh, screw this. This is not worth it. So adherence is, is the name of the game. If you can lift weights and eat pretty decent for the next 20 years, you're going to be healthy, you're going to look good, you'll keep seeing results. But if things are too hard, if they too, require too much effort, if they require too much willpower day in and day out, you won't, you won't, you won't stick to it. You you will eventually give up. Yeah. And so, um, so that's what I try to get people to see results, you know, while still having fun. And then they realize, oh, this is so. That's what my book Strong Curves was about. I had tra- was training all these bikini competitors that were, oh my God, they're like training six hours a day. Mm. Oh, this is my third workout of the day. I'm like, what? Yeah, I did. I did a a plyometric session earlier. What is a plyo session like? You're, like an hour of jumping around. I'm like, that's not plyos. That's like jump conditioning. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and then I oh, then I went and did stadiums, or then I went and did a a, a bar class or yoga class or Pilates or something. Um, the, more exercise is not better. Yeah. You know, the, the the top bodybuilders aren't in the gym ten hours a day. Maybe they're in the gym two hours a day, but not ten. And you know. A lot of women think that just more exercise the better. Like, if you could somehow exercise 10 hours a day, you'd be even leaner with an even even better shape. No, that's not true. There's a sweet spot. And so, uh, that's what I had my uh, co author Kelly Davis. She was doing a ton of stuff. I said, Kelly, drop it all out and just lift weights. Let's just get stronger. And those next six weeks, her before and afters in six weeks were crazy. She stopped exercising so much. And got so much leaner just through progressive overload. Yeah. And so, uh when you so, I have a roundabout way of answering your question. When That's you right. get to that stage where you're getting compliments, I call it the compliment stage. <laughs> and we're we're coworkers and friends and family members are like, "Whoa, are you dieting? Are you lifting weights? What are you doing?" Then your work as a personal trainer is You, you, you know, your work is is easy now. It's yeah. <laughs> you you, you get you don't have to because now you were you were their sole motivation you were going come on push it come on two more you know and now they're like crushing pr's and you're not even you're like whoa what got into you it's because they love it they like the compliments. they feel great inside they feel like a million bucks so when 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 you get to that stage then they tend to start going okay what they want to keep seeing results so they you know then they start listening to you more and holy crap, this guy was right, <laughs> yeah. he's changing my health, he's changing my physique, he's changing my strength, so um, then you can tell them, okay, now try this, do this, and then they'll, they'll listen to anything you say, and then you can teach them flexible diet or teach them habits, uh, that you know healthy habits and that, 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 that will help them in the long run, and so yes, the, the, the getting strong, and the thing about getting stronger, um, this is why women love hip thrusts, they can do 225-pound hip thrusts, you know, 100 kg hip thrusts, and they feel strong. They never imagined being able to lift 225 pounds or 100 kgs. They never thought they could do it, and and it, it empowers them. And when they can squat 60 kgs or 135 pounds, and when they can pull, you know, so they like it. They deep down like it. They don't know it at first. A lot of them, most of them come to you and they are like, I just want a better physique. And then all of a sudden they realize... Wow, I kind of like the strength game. Yeah. And so uh, my, my goal is always to create lifelong lifters, lifelong learners, and uh, that's why when I train them, I try to teach them, you know, I'll quiz them. What's yeah. the name of this exercise? <laughs> what muscle does it work? And I love it when I'm, you know, sitting around here, two clients in the background going, I set a PR in my Bulgarian split spots today, or I I, I did my first glute ham raise. Like, I love hearing that Check stuff. Check out my check out my vmo yeah right that's the teacher <laughs> I mean, in you Brett. look i am see more vmo separate like that. that's <laughs> so i love when they get to that point because um you know so many trainers i think are like they have this strategy like i can't teach them anything because then they won't need me Secret i need them reliant thing. on me so i'm not going to tell them anything no teach them everything you're still going to be more knowledgeable they're never going to be more knowledgeable than you are mm. And teach them everything, and then they'll they'll be so grateful they'll refer all their friends to you. So um, that's just how I think about it.
0: Now you've definitely uh, you've got the proof in the pudding. And I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, glutes, obviously, and a little bit of biomechanics as well as some hypertrophy uh, related questions. But all strength coaches understand the importance of glutes. It's um, you know pretty obvious that. It looks good for physique and bikini competitors, and apart from the glute max uh, being attached to the anal sphincter, as uh, you've taught me in a previous podcast, what else are the glutes, you know, responsible for when it comes to strength?
1: Well, yeah, as you're, as you've alluded to that, you've got, if you kind of take a step back and just look at the human like the the musculoskeletal system, the glutes are kind of the centerpiece they're like kind of the keystone they're the muscle in the direct center that kind of tie a lot of things together, so yes, they attach to the you know sacrum and pelvis and femur, but they like textbooks say seventy to eighty five percent but the anatomists that I've met I've gone to a couple of. Cadaver labs, and they say they think it's more like 85% of the fibers attached to fascia, because only a small portion attached to the you know the 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 um, the 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 greater trochanter of the femur. They the most of them attached to the IT band and all the surrounding fascia. So the IT band connects to the tibia. There's there's, you know, uh, the, there's fibers that connect to the, the deep fibers connect to the pelvic floor muscles. The, the upper fibers connect to the thoracolumbar fascia. Yeah. Um, and I don't like this whole fascial craze. <laughs> it, 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 epi, if Epimuscular myofascial force transmission is a thing, but people tend to... Uh, um, they tend to make batch out to be magical unicorn material. Where, but anyway, the glutes do they influence a lot of things. So I don't think just getting strong glutes is the secret to everything. Like it's not like oh my all of a sudden I have glute muscle, everything changed for me. You still have to learn how to use them. But the brain is pretty smart at using things. Like my whole life I'm I'm six foot four I'm tall so I bend over I don't squat down I like. Stiff leg thing things up, yeah. Because it's easier for me, you know. Yeah. Your your body's, your brain is smart. It uses the movement patterns that are most economical for for it. So when you have glutes, you'll use them when you need it. And but you still have to teach how to land without caving the knees in. You still have to teach how to, you know. You still have to work on movement patterns. But yeah, the the glutes will they pull back on the head, head of the femur, so like. When you squat and deadlift and things like that, the head of the femur doesn't jam forward in the acetabulum and create anterior hip pain. They protect the knees in two different ways. Number one, just using your knees so much throughout life can, you know, can create patellofemoral pain yeah. or you know meniscus in- injuries or um, or you know t- tendon tendon uh, related pain. Um, and it, so if you use them a ton. Uh, and even arthritis things like that you're gonna you're gonna create more wear and tear on them So if you have strong hips you will naturally use the hips more and it'll spare the knees But also they create prevent ACL injuries mm. with, with mostly with landing. Yep. You don't get ACL injuries with squatting. Yeah. It's more with landing mm. But uh, but they protect the knees they protect the hips they protect the low back um, you know just uh, just you know if, if and I don't think that like just having strong glutes protects the low back like so much so that you won't because I think round back deadlifting is not it's not like I, I hear people say this like oh you round back your deadlifts that means you don't have strong glutes yeah. well when you round over you have strong lumbar. You, well you well when you round over you take your erectors out of it you're using your, your erectors passively hmm. think about it what's the job of the erectors is to life erect the spine. So if you round it, they're not erecting. So then you use your glutes to curl the weight up, to hip extend and posterior pelvic tilt as you come up. And then you have to use the erectors at the top to unravel. So, it, it's interesting, I've studied EM, the EMG, the glute EMG of a round back versus arch back deadlifting. The glute EMG was similar. Yeah. So I don't think just like, oh, when you have strong glutes, you'll have perfect deadlifting form or arch. That's not necessarily mm-hmm. the case, but just the way they pull on, on bones and, and, and uh, you know, the, the way they're designed, they're, they, they create force closure for the SI joint. Their, the SI joint is a triangle, the sacroiliac joint mm-hmm. is a triangle, and you got the glute fibers crossing almost perfectly in line with the SI joint. It's like it's perfectly suited to, mm-hmm. to seal that off tight. Now, the, the SI joint has form closure it's pretty wedged in there, the bones are wedged in there real well, but then you also have force closure where the muscles pull it tight. So you can it can help out through transferring forces and all that stuff. And then just throughout the body, through all the thoracolumbar. you know, the, 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 the thoracolumbar fascia attached to the erectors and lats and things like that, and so you're getting, like, transfer through a lot of yeah. different, there's one study showed that you, if you tug on the, ladder of a cadaver you can cause external rotation of the opposite hip so uh but i'm sure a lot of that's overrated in terms of like myofascial force transmission mm. but it's obvious that the <laughs> glutes are we all all strength coaches know that glutes are important you know talk to coaches the best athletes tend to have Muscular glutes. Mm. Nevertheless, I've still seen plenty of successful athletes that you're like, "Wow, that athlete has no glutes," <laughs> and they're still so amazing. So uh, maybe they have very strong glutes; they're just not very muscular. Maybe they have very you know, high specific tension and, and lateral force transmission, which can increase strength dramatically. But uh, I think I've answered that question. Yeah, hundred percent. Right? Your uh,
0: your anatomy knowledge blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind. So. I've definitely uh, seen the importance of glutes in terms of the kinetic chain and just our movement as a whole, as well as injury prevention just through working with people. And you've highlighted the four key functions of the glutes being extension, external rotation, abduction, and posterior pelvic tilt. How do those four functions, because that's quite a number of functions,
1: then uh, apply to programming? Well, if you think about it... okay. Think about this. If you perform a back extension versus a reverse hyper, it's kind of the same thing, right? Yeah. When you do a back extension, your legs are fixed and your torso is moving. When you do a reverse hyper, your torso is fixed and your legs are moving, but they're both hip extension. It's both pretty straight-legged hip extension, too, like hip hinging. Mm. Now, in a similar manner, if you... Think about this: You're standing still, and you kick your leg one, one leg back behind you. That's hip hyperextension, right? Yeah. From a standing position, you kick one leg back. That's hip hyperextension. Or you don't kick one leg back. You keep them both planted, but you squeeze your glutes as hard as you can, and they post your tilt. They you see them pull around, and you post your tilt until you run out of range of motion. The post your t- So this is it's. Posterior pelvic tilt is the exact same thing as hip hyperextension as far as the yeah. hip soft is concerned. If you were in the acetabulum checking out the what the femur head of the femur is doing, you wouldn't know the difference. Yeah, because one of them, the just one of them is the femur spinning on a fixed, extending on a fixed pelvis, and the other is a pelvis posterior tilting on a fixed it's femur. And so, when you, so that's what's funny. I don't, I don't differentiate between posterior pelvic tilt and hip extension are kind of the same thing. Exactly. So it's funny to think about when you do an RKC plank and squeeze your glutes, you're training hip hyperextension. When you are teaching, you know, when, you're, when you just do a standing glute squeeze as hard as you can, you're strengthening end-range hip extension strength. Um, so I don't necessarily have separate posterior pelvic tilt exercises. Yeah. What I mainly want to do is see that someone can get into a plank and squeeze their glutes and hold that glute contraction. what you'll find with new clients is that a lot of them Condent. can't. It's the weirdest thing, and you're like, squeeze your glutes, and then they, you'll see them flutter. They can't hold that. Yeah, they see it like, and so you can't hold that contraction. And uh, you want them to be able to, like, you want them to be able to like fire their glutes from any position possible and hold it for a solid minute without letting go. And not all clients can do that, especially off, right off the bat. So, that, but the, with my advanced clients, I'm not giving them a lot of posterior pelvic tilt, tilt stuff because they're getting that when they do their body weight back extensions the way I do them, which is rounded upper back yeah. with posterior pelvic tilt. Um, but anyway, w- w- with program design, I do hip extension, I do hip abduction, and when the legs are bent, it's like, how do you determine, is hip, hip abduction and external rotation are similar? It's like, mm. how is that abduction, is that external rotation um, in the transverse plane? It's kind of hard to, but anyway, uh, I used to do some hip external rotation stuff, like standing band uh, twists and stuff, hip external rotation, but it's, so, it's a great exercise, but it's so hard for people to get down correctly. So I don't do a lot of external rotation work. But I just do a lot of hip extension and abduction. I well, just do them from different vectors. So they do tons of axial and anteroposterior, or vertical and horizontal hip extension exercises. And then they do different abduction exercises uh, from a, a standing, like a frontal plane abduction, and then a seated transverse or horizontal plane abduction. And yeah. uh, I don't do as much abduction work as I used to because... What I found was they don't even come close to, uh, this is stuff I just recently found out, they don't even come close to activating as much, even in the upper glutes. Abduction is carried out mostly by the upper glutes in the frontal plane, but in the transverse plane, the upper and lower fibers of the gluteus mattress contribute to it, but they don't get nearly as highly activated as they they do during hip thrusts and back extensions and stuff like that. So I do include, like, like, lateral band work, like, you know, lateral band walks and monster walks and mm-hmm. band seated hip abductions and so stuff. I like stretching the glute medius, and it does burn your glutes. So I like it for metabolic stress. It's always at the end of the program. The beginning is always, you know, centered around <laughs> hip thrusts, bridges, um, uh, uh, um, squats, deadlifts, back extensions, stuff like that, lunges, yeah. single leg work, posterior chain work. Um, and then at the end of the session, it's the high rep, yeah. lateral movements or seated hip abduction machine or whatever.
0: Yep. And that is, ba- is that based on uh, the research that Brad has done showing that med- uh, mechanical stress is the primary um, you know, driver of hypertrophy and thus hip thrust lend itself better to that and so on and so forth with metabolic stress and muscle damage?
1: So that is uh, like one huge area of interest of mine, and I go I've gone back and forth. It's like for so many years it was like Brad is the man. He summarizes these three. It's these three drivers of hypertrophy: mechanical tension, metabolic stress, and muscle damage. And then I started like, you know, well you got Stu Phillips out there, and he's talking about now all that stuff's overrated, it. It's just mainly motor unit recruitment. And as long as you can just pick a load and go to failure, you're going to activate all the muscle units. And then some more recent research has come out showing, uh, like, like load is load is. You know, this is with a rat study, but load. They had the, they had anesthetized rats. Do they were they were under anesthesia. So they were out cold, and they maximally stimulate their muscles, but they put different loads on. So the, the heavy load. Just did an isometric contraction because it was such a heavy load, but the lighter load did rapid concentric contractions, and the heavy load they were they were stimulated to the same degree, meaning the same muscle yeah, activation, the right. same tension, but the yeah. load really caused different hypertrophy. The heavier load mm-hmm. beat them out. There's also 20 studies showing that load was <laughs> with, with human training studies showing that mm-hmm. load isn't a... That that big of a factor as long as you're going close it's to failure, right, yeah. but there's more to the picture. We don't have it all figured out There's a lot of different uh, redundant pathways, and this is something I love talking to Brad about. I love talking to different all of us uh, Evidence-based guys. We all are fascinated by this. So I like talking to my buddy Chris Beardsley I like talking to Andrew Vygotsky about it. I like talking to Brad. Uh, Brad and I talk like probably three or four days a week Same with Andrew and I I talked to uh, Eric Helms about it. I talked to Greg Knuckles about it. I talked to Manuel Henselman about it. Um, I like to listen to Steve Phillips' thoughts on it. Um, James Krieger. Uh, yeah. I know I'm leaving people out, but yeah, all all my colleagues that I yeah. admire and respect, and uh, and and we're fascinated by it. We don't have it all figured out. Uh, we've got a lot of good practical advice, but for those people who are looking to completely maximize hypertrophy. Um, We've got a lot of research to be done to really, and and, you know, it's publicly heavily influenced by not only, okay, obviously we already know that. There's so many studies showing how important genetics are for your response. But even what I'm talking about, even even like the genetics of how much volume you should be doing,
0: the genetics of
1: exercise selection, maybe some people respond better to metabolic stress, whereas other people respond better to muscle damage. Think about the people who grow amazing glutes from squats only. Maybe they respond really well to muscle damage, whereas then you get someone, a lot of my female followers who have seen the best results in the glute department, It's when they start doing high rep hip thrusts and their glutes just exploded. (laughs) So that's that's a lot of, that's tension, but it's also a lot of metabolic stress. And uh, maybe there are reasons why, genetic, you know, hereditary reasons why some people respond better to one versus the other, so that's probably the future of, like, sports, sport, not not only, um, not only with trained program design, but also with nutrition, you know, nutrigenomics. Mm-hmm. the problem is we're, like, 20 years out from having yeah. meaningful things going on, we're, it's in its infancy, so you can't go right now, and even though I know there are a couple labs that do it, it we're not there yet, we, mm-hmm. we don't have it all mapped out, but I think, down the road will understand so much more and how cool would that be to be able to go and get a test done and say, okay, you're going to respond yep, better to, to this, that, the rest of it. lower volumes um, but higher frequencies um, and keep your effort around this level. <laughs> <laughs> and and make um, life easy. <laughs> and then you should train, you know, you should train twice a week, uh, train this muscle twice a week and, and that's another thing. Hypertrophy is muscle specific. Like you can have hyper- good, genet- good genetic hypertrophy to build this muscle, but poor in this other muscle. In which goes, guys, with bodybuilders. Look at bodybuilders. Mm. They'll have weak spots that they got to bring up.
0: You've uh, you've tied into my next question. So, Jeremy Lenicky has done some research, hypothesizing that um, muscle protein synthesis um, is essentially maxed out and you know wasted above a certain level of training volume, um, and it only creates more fatigue. But is this uh muscle specific, as you were just alluding to
1: Well, that uh, a study that recently came out showed that um you know, a lot of pe- a lot of guys in the industry will be like, Look at this picture of me when I was skinny and look at me now. I had the worst genetics but I outworked everyone and <laughs> God I sound like I'm single out Lane Norton. Um, <laughs> Lane Lane does do that sometimes and <laughs> I wasn't meaning to target late. I see it all the time. I used to say that. Like, look at how skinny I was. I defied my genetic, you know, code yeah. and I gained muscle. And cuz we all want to think that we, you know, we we pulled off the 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 un, you know, that we we pulled off this magical feat and defied the laws of genetics and we worked so hard, we were so consistent, but all of my buddies think we all, you know, Lane thinks he trains harder than anyone. I think I train harder than anyone. I'm sure uh, every one of us do. It's we all probably train just as hard as each other. Yeah, some of it. us have some of us have way better genetics than others. My pecs have always been muscular, you know, and uh, my calves. I don't do any calves, and my calves are jacked from just squats. Yeah. Other people yeah. have no calves. Uh, yeah. So yes, it is muscle specific. But the paper you're talking about, the Jeremy Lenicky paper, that was uh, Scott. Ding, dinkers or something like that. it was in sports med awesome hypothesis paper it's funny because I talked to Brad about it and he's like that paper shouldn't be in sports med it's a it's a hypothesis piece but it says in there it says on the corner like opinion piece they're mm-hmm. starting to accept opinions now and I loved it because I had those same That's that's what I've been thinking about for years with glutes it's like mm-hmm. I think people are doing too much but not often enough They'll do one glute day a week, one leg day a week, annihilate their legs and glutes, and then not train them until the following week. They should be doing less on each day, but training way more frequently. And I've been thinking this for years. In fact, Brad and I used to argue about it all the time. And, uh, and you know, he'd always say, well, you know, it takes 48 hours to, for, you know, yeah. you know to, to, for protein synthesis, all this stuff. So, but I would say, well, that doesn't mean you can't train every day. Maybe you're just getting these uh, different waves of supercompensation, um, but that's what I loved about that Lenicky piece. They made these theoretical graphs and said, "Here's where m- uh, muscle protein synthesis, according to these different studies, here's where it tops out. It doesn't tend to keep going up the more sets you do, but the more if if you re- if you cross that threshold, now you're just tapping into your re- recovery. Yeah. So now you can't recover from." Uh, you know, you you you're not getting any additional muscle protein synthesis, but you're going to be sore for three extra days. Instead, just try to try to match the the maximum muscle protein synthesis by doing say five sets, and then doing it two days later, five more sets. Two days later, five more sets. Now, I go into great lengths in my glute lab seminars. We talk about all this stuff because all... You can't talk about one program design variable without talking about yep. all the others because they're all interrelated. I need to come well, back to
0: one of these, these seminars.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Soon. I, 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 well, like, take, for example, training to failure. Okay, you see these people making these black and white statements, you know? You, you should never train to failure. And it's like, I'm pretty sure I could do, like... A set of one set of rear delt raises to failure 365 days a year it'd be just fine and yeah. grow my rear delts. Content. Same with like hammer curls or push ups or so. I'm trying to think of these exercises like sled pushes, inverted rows where people don't, you know, inverted rows. No one, I've never seen anyone hurt them. So I'm sure they are some of the listeners. I'm going to get an email. Yeah. <laughs> I hurt myself, but I have never right. seen it. Yeah, band hip thrust, you know. Um, so these there's certain exercises that you, you just know as a personal trainer. They're so well tolerated, and they don't beat you up that much. Typically, think about those exercises I just named. They stress the shortened muscle position, not the lengthened position. A yeah. band hip thrust, when you're down in the stretch, it's not working you much. That's damage. But it, it works you at the top, so they're not highly damaging. They're not damaging to the muscle, that damaging to the muscle, nor are they da- damaging like systemically, they don't seem to wear down your immune system. When I do, Yeah, like, when I do sets of, five sets of heavy deadlifts, the next day I feel like I get hit by a truck, and that's when you tend to start feeling cold or flu symptoms yeah. coming on. You're like, God, i got to chill out. Whereas no one, ever, no one has ever said, oh, man, I did five sets of lateral band walks yesterday. I can't even get out of bed. I'm crushed. I feel like I get hit by a train. So, you know, you have to talk about the whole, all the different variables Um, and so I do think, I like that piece, but I do think it's muscle specific in the sense that like some muscles can anecdotally be trained more often than others, Mm. like glutes, you know, I have a lot of my women doing 36 sets a week of glutes, Yeah. but they do, they can get away with that because not all their sets are to failure. Mm. We don't go take all of our sets to failure. So effort effort is high on maybe a third of the sets, medium on a third of the sets, and low on a third of the sets. And then we do all kinds of rep ranges, low reps, medium reps, high reps, and then we do a lot of angles. We hit all the angles with a lot of different joint actions. Well,
0: Ian King had a paper on that. Um, or Ian King's... Yes. Yeah, the back. we training it with, with flesh station. sets. You're and- talking about... Multiple You're talking
1: language? about a Nation article from, like, 1998 like or 2000 or Ages something ago. like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I read that back back then. I read it, and it totally, in fact, <laughs> yesterday, uh, this week the, and last week, I've been doing a push-pull split just because I haven't done one in so long. I, like, I did body part splits for, like, uh, my first, like, uh, so let's see, from age 15 to like 24, so chest Monday. my first nine years of training were body part splits. And then, uh, and then I did, what's nice though is I didn't do international chest <laughs> Monday. I did, uh, I did legs Monday. <laughs> legs Monday. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and legs and glutes. <laughs> I was always big on glutes. In fact, when I was 19 years old, so 21 years ago, my cousin bought me the ultimate guide to button legs. Uh because he, for Christmas, because he's, quote, quote, I've never met someone so obsessed with glutes. And that was 21 years ago. Wow. <laughs> but I did body part splits, and then I stumbled on the total body training, and then lower upper splits, and then it's like, there's so many good ways to design programs. Push-pull is another good way, but no one ever seems to do it. So I did a push-pull yesterday, and I'm like, okay, I could do four sets of deadlifts, four sets of, say, chin-ups or wide grip pulldowns, and then four sets of a row. Or I could do two sets of deadlifts, two sets of Chin-ups, two sets. And then I can throw in these exercises that I like, pullovers, dumbbell pullovers, prone trap raises, uh, different types of rows and face pulls. Like where do you, you know, people, you know, those face pulls, you feel them in a different area. When you do elbows out rows or, or, you know, different types of rows, sometimes I go real heavy on a one-arm row. Uh, and, and you're sore in different places the next day and you're like, wow, that hit a new area. So uh, I, I totally agree with that. Instead of doing – with back training, there's a lot of angles, but the same thing with glutes. So I do think that I've I've always loved that paper and I'm really glad you brought it up because it, it greatly influenced my program design and, philosophy. Back then, back
0: Well, that's my next question. Um, it's obviously taken you 20 years to find the sweet spot um, in terms of your individual program design. And you know, the genetic component to training, you know, is the ACDD the genetic component that for like lower body strength and all the rest of it. Is that what it is? Am I ACE,
1: a, a, ace gene, the angiotensin yeah. converting enzyme two gene. It's the yeah. Let's get all technical. The people who have the, uh, the 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 DD allele, uh, they gain better strength with just doing like single sets in the lower body, whereas the other two alleles. Uh, gain more strength when you have multiple sets. Yeah. So
0: it's obviously taken you 20 years to sort of hone in on what works best for you. Um, But what would be the quickest way for somebody um, who isn't a fitness professional to find what works for them if there are so many different, you know, ways to skin the proverbial
1: cat? In terms of how to train best for their goals? Yeah. So, it's like funny because um, I know there would be a term for this, but like it's yin and yang. Um, I, I want to say, on the one hand, I could see myself being the guru, like someone, someone acting like it's simple and me going, oh my God, you have so much to learn. If you think this is simple, there's so much to it that you have no clue. And then if someone was making out to be so complicated, I could see myself saying, hmm. it's not that complicated. Get stronger at, you know, I have my top five favorite exercises. It's squats, deadlifts, hip thrusts, bench press, and chin-ups. Get really freakishly strong on those five exercises and you're going to have a pretty good physique, you know? Um, but there's so many different ways to design programs just between, you know, um, between the, 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 the splits, body part split, lower body... Uh, Upper, lower, and then push pull. Within the just organizing the variables, yes. you know how to how to differentially organize, how, how to periodize, and how to organize, you know, load, effort, volume, frequency, um, rest time, cadence. God. Uh, then there's the exercise themselves, and that makes such a big difference when people when people learn new exercise and realize, you know. Not Now, I can usually get people to squat well. I can usually get people to deadlift well, but on their own, a lot of people can't. Mm. They can't figure it out. They're too greedy. They can't take us two steps back in order to take three steps forward. And so on their own, they're better off not doing squats or deadlifts or bench press. They're better off doing other exercises. And so that's where you learn. You know, you talk to a 100 different women about what their favorite glute exercise is, and, and you'll get tons of women saying, Well, you'll get tons of women saying hip thrusts, but then they'll say, I, I don't like doing heavy hip thrusts. I like doing, mm-hmm. well, I have that sweet spot where I I, I, I use 185 and I feel it in most of my glutes. And you'll get some people saying, I don't like barbell hip thrusts, but I love band hip thrusts. or one of my her favorite glute exercises is the single leg. My client Carrie she loves the dumbbell single leg hip thrust. I don't like dumbbell single leg hip thrust. I, See, I love that. Hip
0: you love them? Yeah, I do. They're they're fantastic. Yeah. I don't feel my glutes in anything, uh, anywhere near as
1: much as I do in that movement. Yeah. Well, that's my buddy Ben Bruno's like that. So, uh, he loves single leg, and I I don't like him And my and T- Kelly didn't like him, Who I wrote Stronger's with. That's your long legs. That's why. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> but. Um, but th- th- then then you talk about squats. Okay, I like doing, you know, I feel my glutes most when I do this squat. Some women are like, I like them doing this type of squatter. I love goblet squats, and I've measured EMG on people, and it's like, for no reason, my client Sammy gets so much higher glute EMG doing goblet squats than back squats or front squats. How is that? What is it about the the position of the load? She also gets way more glute activity with kettlebell deadlifts than she does Conventional sumo devils oh, wow. Now I have a two hundred three pound kettlebell, so she can. Yeah, okay. <laughs> go um, But my point is, everyone's different, and uh, and and so yes, yeah, so you'll you'll have some guys go. We're not all that different. We all need to do these exercises, these patterns, but we are very different in terms of our anatomy and architecture and everything, and so and. Maybe the way our nervous system is work maybe our thoughts and, and the prior injuries have a way of scaring you. And so and fear and pain and things like that you inhibit muscle activation. So sometimes you're giving people something new and building up their confidence helps a lot. So um, the, the the best way is to, you know, I was at the commercial gym tonight and I see this guy. No, no. He was doing, um, I don't even know what he was doing. He was standing there and he has a, a very... You can tell it was just, you know, probably like his first week in the gym. He had no mat, muscle mass to speak of, and he was taking a dumbbell and just, like, lifting it up a little bit, not like an upright row in front of him, but up to his side. And that's not even an exercise, really. I mean, it's a movement, but we haven't coined the exercise, and so I was trying to see. I don't like giving unsolicited advice, just because I hate when people do that to me, but I was trying to make eye time to see if he had any questions, and... Anyway, he sees me doing laterals, he's like, what does that work? And I'm like, works the, the, the delts, mostly the mid-delts, a little bit of upper traps, there's up, upward rotators, and he's like, that's it? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, that's all it works? And I'm like, yeah. And so anyway, I tried helping the guy out and giving him some basic information. Yeah. But I can tell he's just lost and clueless. And there's so much information on the internet, where the heck does he start? How do you even learn? I mean, mm-hmm. think about you and I going into a field we have no clue about. It takes time just to figure out what people, and, you know, pick any field that we're not, we're completely naïve to, and we would we would do some Google searches and fall prey to the scamsters and, and hypesters yeah, sure. and marketers, and then we'd realize, oh, God, we got scammed, and then we'd stumble upon better, and it would take us a couple, probably like a solid year to figure out, these are the people I need to be listening to. So keep researching. And and obviously, if they made it to this podcast, they're way way uh, if they're listening right now, then they're, they're out of the woods. On the, I mean, they're not they're not falling for the summers. But uh, but anyway, keep keep learning. Keep learning the science. Keep trying to uh, uh, stumble upon the best people. But keep experimenting in the gym. If you're, uh, I always say your knowledge is comprised of is, is gained from three parts of the pie. And they're equal. One is training yourself, one is training other people, and one is is reading and you know, attending seminars and watching videos and stuff like that. So I've learned so much through training myself. How how could you understand you can't you can't read read a journal article yeah. on powerlifting and go figure out powerlifting, you know? You can't read a journal article on an exercise and then master it. You have to do it and try it and learn it by, learn by doing. But then you get these guys who are so, they, oh, they, they've they never trained any other people. These are like the jack bodybuilder types, the genetic freaks. And then they think, well, I feel this working this so much. Everyone has to be just like me. And they haven't worked with any people to understand how different we all are. You know, they, they're the ones who see like a, tall, lanky person doing squats and they're like, you need to be perfectly upright. Stand upright. Chest up. Chest down. Yeah. Up. Come on. you got to be upright. You're squatting all wrong. You shouldn't yeah. lean at all. I know you don't have to lean, but my body doesn't let me do that. They haven't worked with enough people to understand individual differences. And, uh, and you have to work with a wide variety, not just a lot of people, but a wide variety of yeah. clientele, age and gender and athletic, you know, sports and things like that, but And then finally, by reading and learning and everything. So you just keep, it's like, you know, proportional to what you put into it. If you're experimenting and reading and learning, you're going to keep seeing better and better results. But if you just read one blog or find one article on bodybuilding.com and then you stick to that for the next 10 years, you're going to top out and not see any. (laughs) And those are the people you see in the gym who look the same year after year after year. They never make any progress.
0: Yeah. That, that's one of the best responses I've had to that question because it's something that I've asked a lot of the people that I've interviewed is, you know, which do they give uh, the most credence to in terms of evidence-based practice, you know, the research or experience or, you know, training clients and so forth. And I love that answer. So thank you very much, Brett. That was spot on. But I want to talk to you quickly about your some of your research. Um, I've done my homework. I went on ResearchGate and I went through all your Uh, studies, and I noticed you've done, you've compared uh, glute activation in the hip thrust with the front squat, the back squat, the American versus bands, and the reverse hyper, um, but no deadlifts.
1: I just, uh, God, I wonder if I'm allowed, uh, yeah, this paper got accepted, so I'm allowed to talk about it. I just just peer-reviewed a paper that compared hip thrust to deadlifts. Yep. And it's, it's not published yet, but it will be. Um, and it, the hip thrust edged out the deadlift. Um, and, and, uh, but deadlifts got more hamstring. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: but it wasn't as crazy as with the squat, but the, the thing is the, the, uh, the, the, the researchers used a, like a really high bench, and they used 1RMs, so it was interesting, you know, because I think a lot of people don't report a lot of higher glute activity as they get heavier high and heavier. They did 1RMs, so what, one rep max hip thrust was so a one rep max deadlift, and the deadlift, the, the hip thrust still reigns supreme, but it, 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 it wasn't as big of a difference than with the squats, but uh, anyway, we need so many more, so stu- we need EMG studies, we need, so training studies, we need hypertrophy studies, we need performance studies, we need we need like fifty studies to understand this, and we've got like two. So we're it's in its infancy right now. Um I have two papers showing or two studies, well one study and one master's thesis showing that hip thrusts improve acceleration. I was just informed by colleagues that there's another paper out there that or another study that was conducted that I suppose they're trying to publish showing that barbell hip thrusts did not improve sprinting speed. Yeah. But there's yeah. studies showing that, hip, yeah. that sprints don't improve sprinting speed. There's studies showing squat showing it. everything, yeah. So we need a ton of research on this until we finally, and all I can do as a practitioner is um, I can flow with the research. I'm sure I'm telling people wrong things right now, but the thing is I, I fess up to it. and. Yeah. And I've changed, I told you earlier how I'm shifting my focus with physique people towards lighter loads with higher reps. And, uh, but not obviously you don't want do that with powerlifters yeah. with strength athletes, strength clients. But I flow with the research and admit when you're wrong and people don't get mad at you because you're the one to tell them, hey, you're the one to update them. This is what we know now, you know, shoot, I was wrong. But I, I at that time, I was basing my opinions on the available evidence yeah. to the best of my abilities, and now that's changed. For sure.
0: And do you think that uh, the drawbacks of EMG studies um, impact the practical application of what people can actually feel more, you know, the mind-muscle connection? Do you think that they so, align?
1: It's interesting. So... Uh, <laughs> On the one hand, when I do these EMG studies, so many times, people are like, I feel my glutes more when I use this stance, when I use a wide stance, or when I use a narrow stance with my knees out, abducted, or when I do this, and then I'll measure them, and they're always right. So it's like, they they know within a variation, like, I feel my glutes more when I do this, and then I'll measure it, and they're right. Sometimes it's like double the activation they get from from doing this form uh, adjustment. But then there have been a couple of times where where I had a, a person I was testing say, I don't feel frog pumps work my glutes at all. That's where you do glute bridges with your feet together, and then she was wrong. They got her higher activation than than uh than regular or wide stance glute bridges. Okay. She just so in that sense she was wrong. And then I had another client tell me, when I do hip thrusts, I feel them all of my quads. But when I do feet elevated glute bridges, I fill them all in my glutes. She got higher activation with the hip thrust than with the feet elevated glute bridges. Yeah. yeah. So she was wrong. So I wanna say, yes, the client's always right, but they're not always right. Mm-hmm. So th- there is something in the mind muscle connection. Like that's why I never you know, we don't EMG all of our clients. So we have to <laughs> we have to ask them questions. Yeah, yeah. So when I determine someone's optimal form for the hip thrust, for the square dental. I have what I feel like they should do, but then I ask for their feedback, and you should see me when I train people with hip thrusts, especially at my seminars, because I'll train 20 people at once, and I'll be like, try this. And 50% of the time, they're like, oh my god, you're a, you're a magician, you're a mix," And then 50% of the time, they're like, oh no, that, I feel that more in my hamstrings. I, that feels worse, and I'm like, okay, do no, 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 no. try, try that, That's my bad. You know, and and but with with within five minutes I can get them hip thrusting yeah, perfect yeah. with with what they, and they feel their glutes. Mm. So yeah, I have enough things to tinker with with where they're hinging on their back, yeah. where their feet are placed, their stance with where they're pushing through the heels, and then their spinal pelvic mechanics. Yeah, you know, yeah. Rib, you know, ch- look, eye gaze forward, uh, chin tuck, ribs down, posterior yeah. yeah. pelvic tilt. Those things that people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the hard thing. You hear people, you hear people saying this, but then when I work with them, they can yeah. figure it out. And yeah. uh, and a lot of times they're hip thrusting off too high of a bench, mm. you know. But that that applies for all the exercises I have in my mind, the way I teach it. So I always tell people when I they come to my seminars, here's how I teach the squat. But if I work with you for some time, I might have you doing it totally differently based yeah. on your input, you know. Yeah,
0: there is a lot of individual. Uh, variation in terms of technique for the hip thrust and it's definitely something I've seen um, in my tenure, short tenure in comparison to yours in coaching is that people perform the hip thrust really incorrectly um, but back it to what we were saying
1: it's the same with deadlift squats, you yeah. see people but you don't judge an exercise by the way people screw it yeah. up, you judge an exercise by how it oh, should stuff. be performed yeah. I mean, also funny because once you think you have it all figured out You know, I teach the deadlift with a pretty narrow stance. Look at all these strongman competitors Mm. who deadlift with wide stance. They do, you're almost like, why don't you do, why don't you just take it out a little wider and do sumo? (laughs) But uh, they're doing like wide stance conventional deadlifts. And you're like, why are they doing that? Well, they're stronger that way. Mm. And I had a client who was, (laughs) it's funny. She went and was training at a, a, a gym, and a strongman competitor told her to take her feet out and she, she also put twenty pounds on her deadlift. She comes and works out with me. She pulls two sixty five, and her max was two forty five. I'm like, well, what the hell? I'm like, what you? How did you gain twenty pounds? And she goes, yeah, this this strongman competitor helped me out. He told me to stand wider, and I started laughing and staring because I'm like, here you're paying me to train you, <laughs> and I told you not to take a wider stance yeah. to go narrower. So there are. You, you got to learn the rules and then you learn how to bend the rules, but so you have to learn the rules first in order to know how to bend them. Yeah, for sure.
0: And my final question too was related to the EMG um, studies and the mind-muscle connection. And you and Brad are doing a study on that soon, correct?
1: Yes, we're, it's in progress. It's, it's in halfway progress. done.
0: Awesome, awesome. I'm really looking forward to that one coming out. Um, but... With external cues, we obviously know that this is better for performance, and we know that internal cues um, help with, you know, the mind-muscle connection. But how, you know, important is it to have, you know, internal and mind-muscle connection for hypertrophy?
1: Well, so it's funny because um, this whole argument of so just for the listener who doesn't understand the argument yet, external attentional focus. So when you're lifting weights, what does the trainer or coach, how do they direct your attention while you're exercising? Do they direct it internally, inside your body, to the muscles or, or, or parts of the body? Or do they, you know, and that's typically all of our squat cues, push through the heels, knees out, chest up, squeeze glutes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Those are all internal, cues, internal attentional focus, or you direct them externally, outside of the body, onto the environment? So, you know, uh, every and so, when every study to date that I've seen looking at performance, there's probably, probably over a hundred by now. They all show an advantage with performance when you direct externally, when you direct their attention externally. So that's what you said. Like, yeah. you would never be like. Um, Jacob, if you were gonna do a jump, if you were gonna do a horizontal jump, like let's say we were standing on like a at the foot of a river, and I'm like, you gotta jump to the other side, Jacob. Our survival depends upon it. I would be like, okay. Picture, look five feet ahead of that end of that river, and that's where you pick, look there. I want you jumping so you land five feet ahead. I would address, I would never go, okay, Jacob. You need to time the contraction. to right when you toe off. You're squeezing your quads and glutes at maximal capacity. Yeah. You, you, yeah. You, you get halfway and fall right into the river and die, or whatever. <laughs> Remember, it's molten lava, not, not river. It's a it's a river of molten lava. <laughs> so with and that's not just with explosive tests, but also with accuracy, like throwing a dart, yeah. um, and like that. You you focus their attention externally, and they do better. But, when it has to do with two things, I believe, uh, right now, that uh, we don't have the evidence, so I, I surmise that uh, with hypertrophy and with fixing form. So think about it. If if you want to fix someone's valgus collapse, why would you just... You, have, you want them to... You need them to focus on their knees, because when they don't focus on their knees, they cave inwards. Yeah. So you have to get them to focus on the ears. Tell me a good external attentional focus cue for me for preventing knee knee cave. Touching so on the wall. So picture in, but picture your knees touching the wall. We you meant knees. Yeah. So
0: like as <laughs> near as
1: possible. <laughs> so spread the floor. Yeah. But I can. So I could. Have, Watch! I'm spreading the floor, and I can have complete knee valgus while spreading the floor. You can spread the floor very hard in knee values. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I kind of think we we have these some overzealous coaches that learned they read Gabriel Wolf's work and they learned that external is superior with performance, and they were so focused on performance that they they started making bold statements like external is always better in every instance you never it's better for motor learning, it's better for performance, it's better for accuracy, it's better for anything Well, we never studied hyperview, and Gabriel Wolf actually came on my blog once because I wrote a blog post yeah. saying this and she came on and I said, That's, you're wrong We have all these studies on EMG showing higher muscle activation when you focus internally So then the next thing that the external focus people said was, well, it doesn't matter you're not. Yeah, you might get big, higher EMG, but it's not going to translate to more muscle. And I'm going, what? How could more activation not mm-hmm. translate to better growth? You're squeezing that muscle. Well, they say, well, you're not squeezing it against the resistance. Well, but you're activating it higher, um, so maybe like you're doing a curl, and you'll, 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 you'll also activate the triceps to work against the biceps, so maybe you're activating the antagonist, but you're creating that ac- ac- activation, which creates muscle force which creates joint torque so um now all the studies show that you gain better strength with the external focus but it looks like with our study right now it looks like but we don't have enough subjects so brad's collecting the data on it and it looks like there's a big advantage with the internal attentional focus for hypertrophy right now but it could go you know we only have half the subjects collected it could go either way yeah but I can't wait for this to be done just so I know for myself. And then I'd also like to, be to see another study done on fixing form. Because I always say, like, you remember when CrossFit first became popular and you had all these highlight reels of people yeah. screwing up their
0: form? CrossFit fails. Well, that,
1: CrossFit fails. That wasn't. That's not how CrossFit was supposed to be performed. That's when you got coaches that only cared about performance. Mm, yeah. You don't care about PRs. Yeah. You do... You have to care about form and you have to coach them. So think about Louis Simmons and all his cues for powerlifters, chest up, knees out. Those are all internal cues, and he trains them as the strongest people on earth. You don't say those internal cues when they're at a meet. You don't go, chest up, buddy. You say, lift this freaking weight. You, know, you, 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 you psych them up. You motivate them. You, but you, you have to do the internal cues to keep them healthy so they can keep training injury-free yeah. and get in more volume over time. So we got to use both. That's my consensus. Yeah. Any intelligent coach would use both, and if depending could, on the, the If goal. you could
0: conduct a ideal study, Brett, um, would it be external cues, internal cues, and then good technique with internal cues and external cues?
1: Oh, I mean, it the ideal study we'd have MRI. Which cause these MRIs are like you know a million to to one point five million dollar machines. If you want to donate, guys, to Brett's
0: research, we'll put a link below. <laughs> but
1: oh man, what I could do with an MRI. But anyway, um, <laughs> you know we yeah we we'd have um it would have to be a multi layered study where where you had yeah I mean it almost have to be two separate studies you, you'd, yeah. you'd want to do. Yeah what we're doing right now on hypertrophy but you know here's the thing with that the studies on activation show higher activity with lighter loads but when you go really heavy there's no differences in activation for example if you use a lighter load something you do for 10 reps in the bench press and you say try to use your pecs you'll, you'll use your pecs more yeah. Three reps. but then yeah. when it's like a one rep max you're just trying to get the weight. It doesn't matter if you say, use your pecs, use your triceps. You're going to use everything you can got can get. Mm. So the load matters. So I, I bet you it's going to be that, yes. So think about what the bodybuilders do. They rep out. You see like a Kai Green. He's taking light weight and squeezing. You know, like he's using the same weight I use. And he's twice my size. But he's focusing on really the mind-muscle connection and getting a good pump, getting a good burn, and squeezing. Uh, that and that keeps him injury free. It works for him. Now you could say he's pumped up on every steroid in the world, but um, I think there's probably some natural competitors who lift that way and do just fine as well. Mm-hmm. So I think, uh, yeah, we need we need more research on this. But what I think it's going to find is internal cues for hypertrophy, mo- mostly with lighter loads, not so much with heavier loads. Greater strength gains with external, better form improvements with internal. And then better all-around outcomes over the long run when you use both intelligently. (laughs) It's
0: amazing what that thing called common sense can do, Brett. Yep. And finally, research hasn't looked at everything as we just alluded to then. So how do you fill in the gap without your common sense, obviously? How do you, you know, be so innovative and fill that that gap?
1: Well, it's just kind of like being a... I want to say being a man, but I don't mean that to be you know being a, a woman. What a bit, being a, a you know being a leader, being a decision maker. You can't just go through life. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But you also have to be aware of the Dunning-Kruger effect. The more you know, thinking. we we things that we're really stupid about. We do not know how stupid we are about it. We tend to overestimate our own intelligence and underestimate other people's intelligence with things. So, and I can tell you what I, I can tell you what good I go for my research review. I go through 92 journals a month, and I sift through them. And just reading the titles of some of these studies, especially the physiology stuff, you have no clue how how deep yeah. <laughs> how deep the water hole goes. Like people <laughs> think they have a clue about the human body, they don't even that nice shit clue how complicated it gets, yeah. and it is so, I, I, I can hardly understand the title, um, and it's just fascinating to me how when you delve into a certain topic, no matter what the topic is, like when you get a PhD, you've got to learn all there is to know about this topic, That's and one. then you're like holy crap, there's a lot to this. I, I thought this was a simple topic, and there's so much to it. So, you have to, and and usually we're good at knowing that with our own field, because we're like, God, these other people so underestimate, you know, how complicated this field is. But then they go and yeah. they don't use that same logic with fields they don't know that much about. Yeah. Um, so, you have to, you just kind of have to know, like, for me, my, my areas of specialty are glutes, hamstrings, sprinting, biomechanics. I'm probably the smartest guy in the world with glutes because I got my PhD in it, I'm doing most of the research. Now, there's people that know more than me about, you know, if I was needed to know about the gluteal anatomy and architecture, I would go to like Sam Ward or Richard Lieber, those are muscle physiologists. If I wanted to know about a certain, you know, um, if I wanted to really study the hell out of the biomechanics of something, I'd go to one of these high level biomechanics professors who could help me do muscle mod- cell muscle modeling and, and, and uh, you know, with, with these VICON, like these, these uh, VICON. It's like, you know, those, you watch the movies and you see these avatars that are created but people wearing these like robot suits and it creates like this little. Uh, Yeah, those are like... You you use that with like force plate and EMG and you can make a realistic model of what's going on. You know, Um, but I I need a a group of people to, uh, you know, to help me figure things out. That's why I have these smart colleagues. I've got Andrew and Chris who know biomechanics even better than I do now. Mm. I've got Brad who knows the hypertrophy physiology better than I do. I've got Alan Aragon, who knows the the uh, 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 nutrition and, uh, side of things so well, uh, for, for pertaining to hypertrophy and body composition. and I've got all these smart colleagues that help me. So we're, we're, that's how I try to make sense of things. It's like when I don't know something, I try to find the right people to ask. I'm not afraid to email professors and researchers and things like that. Yeah. And then I just try to do a search and, and use PubMed and use Google and things and try to learn about it as much as I can. And then this is my opinion, but I just know, like, I'm very strong with my opinions on glutes. Uh, I'm pretty confident with my opinions on hypertrophy, even though we don't know at all. But when it's something that I don't even study, for example, endurance exercise or, um, you know, Certain things about fitness that i don't or even things that aren't fitness related scientific you know I love quantum physics, but I know damn well that I' am completely clueless i i I would be throwing a uh, you know throwing a dart against the wall and just seeing where it lands. I would have no clue because it's not my area of study, so I think it's important to try to just be scientific and use the available evidence you have but Really, a lot of times to get the answer takes so much more time and energy than people think. <laughs> yeah, for sure. um, So you're not going to know everything. I can't know. I can't be the expert in 20 different things. I can be the expert in glutes. I can be smart about all these other things, but I can't be the, the expert in all these different fields. You've got to specialize in this day yeah. and age. So you're not going to know all the answers.
0: Brett, it has been an absolute pleasure. This was uh, a jam-packed episode and I can't thank you enough for the wealth of knowledge that you have shared with us today, um, not only on this podcast, but everything that you do for the lifting community and the fitness industry uh, without any uh, you know, need for something in return. It's uh, very inspir- inspirational, mate, and
1: thank you for being on this episode of the JPS Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. And... Uh... Glad we got it done.